This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Okay, so Lynn is a therapist. My first question to you is, you take issue with a lot of pop culture portrayals of therapists. In a lot of pop culture portrayals, they portray the therapist as crazy. They portray the therapist as having terrible boundaries. They portray the therapist as kind of a hot mess in and out of their sessions. And so what they did with this is they took Sharon, who's this therapist. So she was meeting with Ted. He was in a bit of a crisis and she came to help him. And at the end, they asked if they could hug, right? So they gave a hug. And then he said, you're going to charge me for this, right? And she said, absolutely. And I thought, <laughs> I thought, way to go, therapist. You are not giving it away for free, right? Because she is really good at her job. And this is what we do, right? It's like if you go to the emergency room because it's an emergency, the emergency room doctor doesn't say, well, I'm not going to charge you because it's an emergency. Just from a therapist's perspective, I thought that was a really good boundary that she set. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about worry and other big feelings in parenting. I'm your co-host, Robin. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. Everybody. Prior to us starting to record, Robin and I were having our usual chat that we have before each episode about what we want to talk about, and we have this really great topic, and and we're going to do it next week. But we came back to and have to talk about Ted Lasso. Have to. We have to talk about it because it is so well done, and they are going after with unflinching clarity and they're not backing down, talking about male relationships. In a way that I can't think of another example of a show that portrays this, right? Yeah, of course. There are men in TV shows and sitcoms and things where they're talking about relationships, but they do it in a way. Remember Dr. Huxtable, right? He was held up as like, look at that dad, of course, and that didn't really turn out so well. Look at the relationships in MASH, for those of you who are old enough to remember MASH. There were all those male relationships. They tried to bring in serious stuff, of course, but it was all about sarcasm, wasn't it? It was all about joking and teasing. This is different. Ted Lasso is different. It's funny you say that because uh, growing up, I remember like Alan Aldo was considered this sort of breakthrough character. And maybe in the late 70s and 80s with those films, he was that. But we've come a long way now with Ted Lasso. Yeah. We're going to talk about specifics about the episodes, particularly the last episode, the season ender that just was on a few days ago. So if you haven't watched Ted Lasso, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about it. So watch it. For God's sakes, watch it. But in the meantime, go back and listen to the dads and depression episode that we did prior. It's our most listened to episode as well. Well, I'll tell you when I, you know, when I meet a dad at an event or whatever, that's the episode that the dads bring up the most. 
And the way they bring it up is, I don't really listen to podcasts, but my wife was listening to this and she told me that I needed to listen to it and it was really, really helpful. So I hear about that episode a lot from men, which is just great. Trivia, that's the episode that both Lynn and I cry while recording. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. I don't think that's happened since. I mean, we go pretty raw in that episode. Yeah. I think we edited out the moments where we each started crying, but acknowledged (laughs) that we had just each cried. (laughs) But we've mentioned before, Lynn and I are really easy criers. We're very easy criers. Yeah. And just basic information, Ted Lasso was on Apple TV. It's a paid streaming service. If you have the option of even getting a free trial so that you can binge it, yeah, you won't be disappointed. Particularly if you have sons, it's a fantastic show to show them things. And actually, you know, one of the things that got us really fired up was that Washington Post article. Uh, so a woman wrote an article. It was a mom, right? Wrote the article. And basically the, the tone of the article was that she was really in support of having her teenagers watch Ted Lasso, even though there's bad language. And Robin immediately sent me an email that said, if you think that Ted Lasso is inappropriate for your teens, you're protecting them from the wrong things, the wrong things, right? They say the F word all the time. But if you think your teenagers haven't heard that, I mean, come on, if you think your teenagers aren't saying that, please. But there are so many wonderful things. Definitely. And just a point about that. I actually let my younger son, who's 10, watch most of the Ted Lasso episodes. Mm -hmm. There was just one where I didn't feel like it offered anything for him that I, I didn't let him watch. The reason why I say this is, as a parent, you just say, they're using language that I'm not endorsing. I'm not endorsing you to use this language, but people do it anyway. And you, Lynn, as a parent, have always said to me, to explain to your kids, there are certain situations where things are appropriate and certain situations, things are not. And that's a critical lesson to verbalize to your kids. Right. That differentiation. I think I've even talked about the whole conversation I had with my kids about swearing and which grandmother you could swear in front of and which one you couldn't. Yeah. So just because people are dropping the F-bomb because they are soccer players in England doesn't mean that now you as an 11-year-old have permission to, say, pass the F insult. You just put it in those terms for it. You just talk very directly about it. Okay, let's talk about the show. The thing that is the most moving and the most touching to me is the way that they are portraying male relationships, the complexity of them. Sort of on every level, we've got a ton of father-son stuff going on, but we've got real genuine male friendships with vulnerability. We've got their romantic relationships. They're talking about mental health. Ted is struggling with being away from his son. He's having panic attacks. It comes out that his dad committed suicide. There's just so much about how it is that boys and young men and older men process their emotions and what we as a culture offer them as opportunities to do so. And there are some really great successes in that. And then they also show us the real horrible failures in that. And it's pretty amazing. The other thing too that they did with Ted going into therapy 
was they put words to a lot of things that keep men out of therapy. So they work those through on the screen. The fact that you don't talk about things with other people that are sort of secret. You don't bring them up. Ted's whole character development is that he is a super optimistic, positive guy, always walks on the sunny side of the street, able to look at the glass half full. And in the therapy sessions that they showed with Sharon, they sort of dismantled that, that that was a way that he was coping. It's not that it's a bad thing that he is so friendly and positive, but that was something that he was using to protect himself from enormous pain that he was struggling with. It was seeping out in other ways, but that's when the gates came busting open. So I thought that they did a really good job of developing that storyline. Everything is fine. I'm going to handle this. The glass is half full. I have these funny quips. While on the inside, I carry around this very, very painful secret that I don't let anybody see. Mm -hmm. I thought that therapeutically was very well done. Well, I think that his coping strategy and his facade mm -hmm. in the first few episodes of the whole series, it was a very funny caricature of the clash of American and British culture and stereotypes of. The mm -hmm. Brits have a stereotype of being really cynical, really sarcastic. They're gritty. They're not the kind of people who wear that vulnerability on their sleeves. Mm-hmm. Ted Lasso's Kansas City version of Sunshine is an extreme example, even to other Americans, but especially to the British. And so seeing what that level of happy and friendly does to the British people he interacts with is a very charming early on dynamic. Yes. And then it unpacks it. And that's what's so sophisticated about the show. Right. It could have stayed right there, couldn't it? The whole show could have been, this is a happy, sweet, Midwestern dude dealing with the cynicism and the stiff upper lip of the British people. You're exactly right. That's where it started. And it could have just stayed there. Right. A lot of sitcoms do that trope. It could have stayed that superficial. But clearly it wasn't going to. I can't help but think of growing up watching Cheers. And Ted Danson played this character where the whole trope was he was a recovering alcoholic that worked in a bar and he was a former athlete that everybody thought was great. They never really did anything deeper than that with him. It just stayed there the whole time. We can think of so many male characters in sitcoms where they just kept the shtick going. So Doc Sharon, as she was called, I loved the way that she... Excuse me, Dr. Sharon. Right, but does he call her Doc Sharon? And she corrects him. Oh, <laughs> thank you for correcting me. <laughs> he calls her Doc and she says, it's doctor. I did think she was a really great pop culture version of a therapist. She showed a lot of judicial empathy, very good boundaries, mm -hmm. and was incredibly insightful. And I thought she was probably one of the best therapists I've ever seen portrayed. Yeah. 
If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you, the Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists, and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back for moments that really matter. The Skylight Calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not going to frustrate you. You're going to be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook. You can add events directly using the touchscreen or with the free Skylight mobile app. Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows all family events together in one spot. The events are color-coded so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. When the calendar's not in use, you can turn it into a digital picture frame. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love the Skylight calendar, you'll receive a full refund. They offer a 120-day money-back guarantee and free returns. You can't beat it. I think the feature that I love most is the collaborative way we can all add to the grocery list. And then when I'm ready to place an online order, whether I'm at home or my office, I have that list and there's no more items that we forget. So as a special time-limited offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash flusterclucks. Mother's Day is coming right up. So order today to get 15% off your purchase at skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, 
Grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. Well, here's the other thing that she portrayed, which they don't often portray, and a lot of people don't really recognize the value of this in therapy, is that she also, when necessary and when, when helpful, she also revealed her own vulnerability. So one of the things that's really interesting in the therapy world is this issue of self-disclosure. And the way that I was trained is that you never disclosed anything about yourself. Even having my office attached to my house, other therapists would say, how do you handle that? Or isn't that difficult for you? Concord is not a big town. And I see people all the time that I know. Everywhere I go, I run into families that I've treated. So this whole idea of self-disclosure and vulnerability as a important therapeutic tool, I think they did very well with. If you talk to people about how or why they feel connected to the therapist that they have a relationship with, most of them want to know that you're a human being. And I think they did that really well, and that's not something that I've ever seen done before. If they're doing self-disclosure with therapists on a movie or a TV show, they do it in such a pathological way that they end up sleeping together. And I just thought that that was really well done. He was able to talk to her about what happened to him because she revealed something about herself. And you remember that scene, it's when she had the bike crash. So pay attention to that because that was very, very well done, very unusual, and very sophisticated. Do you have a favorite character? I love Roy Kent. I love how we get to see his vulnerability. I didn't like how it ended. I have to say that. I make, that's making me nervous. I actually really liked that. We're definitely going in for spoilers. But the way the relationship ended it's at the end of season two, I mean, it's brilliant that he says, are you breaking up with me? And she says, no, we're great. But mm-hmm. you go by yourself and I go by myself and do my thing. And then we will get back together. I yeah. mean, they're definitely showing incredible ideals in human relationships. Yes. The reason I didn't like it is because it made me nervous that they're setting it up, that something's going to happen when he's gone. I think they wanted us to feel nervous about it. And I did. They got me. I mean, obviously, one of the more beautiful moments of the show thus far is when Jamie Tart's really bad dad is belittling him and berating him and in front of Mm -hmm. the whole team and leaves and Roy Kent runs up and just embraces him. That Mm -hmm. was because Roy Kent clearly had a connection with that difficulty and that struggle. And he also said at the end with Keeley, he said, I want to go on a vacation for the first time ever where I'm not rehabbing my knee or training. The idea that he never had an opportunity to just relax and unplug. I think that was an interesting line to me. And he he did buy tickets for a six-week vacation without consulting her. He was like, yeah, we're going to go away for six weeks. And she's like, honey, no, I'm not. Yeah. 
I'm starting a company. Right. I do. I've come to love Jamie Tart too, haven't you? I mean, he was such a, they did such a good job. That's another thing that they did where you look at these people, the people that you don't connect to at first. Jamie was the stereotypical, jerky star of the team, homecoming king. And then look what they did with that. Look at how they unpack that too. I cried during that scene in the locker room with the father and what Roy Kent did. That was just an amazing scene. The Jamie Tart plot to me is also about, you know, they're, they're young guys, mm-hmm. early 20s, 23, 24, the majority of them. Mm-hmm. He had not been around people modeling more positive emotional behavior. Right. Suddenly he's around people who are giving him compassion, giving him honesty, giving him encouragement and sympathy. And you see the transformation that so many young men are being raised without. And then if they get a taste of it, that's why to me, it's so important that we as parents are really paying attention to the emotional messages and emotional skills we're giving and modeling our sons. When we saw that article and the woman said, even though they swear, I'm letting my son watch it. We were like, every son should watch it. Just in terms of that modeling, I think that's a wonderful point, Robin. How do older men model and connect for the young people in their circle, whether it be their son, whether it be whether they're coaching? That role is so, so important. You know, we're talking about modeling between fathers and sons, older men and young men. But like you brought up that relationship that Roy Kent has with his niece. She's actually helping him too. But what is he consciously trying to model for her? What is he consciously trying to convey to her as a man in charge of forming and teaching what this little person needs? They do such a good job with that. So we got to talk about Nate. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I think they do a great job with is for someone to kind of go evil. It's from a place of injury. Mm -hmm. And they build these injuries. We see that Nate is from an environment where in his household, he was belittled. He wasn't encouraged. He didn't have a sense of possibility much within himself. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you don't get the support, the acknowledgement, the recognition that you are who you are, that you don't get that positive stuff. What happens when you're continually seeking approval? Where does that take you? Because even Ted is doing some approval seeking. So we love his happy, positive thing, but he is doing approval seeking. He's trying to get approval from people by not letting people see who he really is. But yeah, they did a really good job of showing what happens when somebody's wound is reopened and triggered and brought forth. What was interesting to me in that last scene where Nate was really laying into Ted was the projection of that. And Ted was trying to say, what did I, what did I do to anger you? And he couldn't really put it into words. I think that that is really One of the things that comes up as a therapist a lot, how is it that we experience those old wounds with the people that we're with? 
how does that get projected onto our current lives? How do we do that in our relationships? I think that's, again, very sophisticated thing to deal with in a sitcom. There's an episode that talks about how Nate is learning to find his own voice to mm-hmm. get the window table for his parents at their anniversary dinner. Mm-hmm. So there's that episode where you see Keely and Rebecca very magnanimously wanting to encourage it. You could say that that arc finishes with Keely inspiring him for a very misaligned kiss. But to me, it really ends with then he says to Roy, I kiss Keely and you don't care. Mm. But Jamie says, I love you, Keely, and you're ready to kill him. Yep. I'm just not enough of a threat as a man for you right. to even get bothered. So that happened in the season finale just before that explosion, too. Yeah. That reopens all of his wounds. Yeah, that is so true, Robin. That's exactly true. You aren't relating to me as if I am a threat as a man. Right. I'm a little insignificant person over here. Right. And there's a systemic racism element of it, too, being a South Asian growing up Mm -hmm. in England that plays into it, too. So there are so many layers of his wounds Mm -hmm. that then sort of explode. Yeah. I saw an interview where Jason Sudeikis said that this second season has sort of like an Empire Strikes Back sort of narrative curve. So it's going to end really dark. And I just never thought that Nate would be the Darth Vader character. Mm -hmm. I was watching an interview also when they were talking about the way they were writing it is that at the beginning, you would find everybody annoying at the beginning of the first season. And then by the end, you would understand why everybody is doing what they're doing. I thought that was such an interesting way to put it. And Nate, man, they showed us why Nate is doing what he's doing. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. Mm. 
So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. What I like about where they're headed with Nate, and you mentioned projection rather quickly, but here's a guy who had the most unloving, ungiving father who sort of showed a non-emotional response to him. Mm -hmm. He finally has a grown man in an authority figure position show him kindness and authenticity and that vulnerability he could show to Ted let out all of this anger because anger is a really tricky emotion. To really show your anger, you have to kind of be vulnerable in a way too. And so it's like Ted gets everything that his dad should have gotten all that time. That's a great way of looking at it. When Nate is showing that anger, he's really just opening up everything that's inside of him. And you're right. Like you don't show anger to somebody if you don't feel safe showing anger. Yeah, so you're exactly right. Nate is showing everything to Ted because you don't show anger unless you have some level of sort of safety with somebody. Right. He couldn't show his anger to his dad when his dad was completely shitting on him. There was no way he could say to his dad, hey, why are you being a jerk about this? Right. He just had to stuff it, stuff it, stuff it. Right. Ted became the vehicle for him. Mm-hmm. So as a therapist, what do you predict happens to Nate in season three? Oh, gosh. All right. So I'm going to take a long pause and think about this, and then you're going to edit this long pause out. Ha ha. I predict that Nate is going to come undone. He goes to the other team. He's going to take all this anger and all this competitiveness and It's going to just like, but I don't think he's going to be able to sustain it. And I think he's going to go back to Ted. I think he's going to have some sort of encounter with Ted and he's going to fall apart and be put back together again. That's what I predict. We've talked about this show being such an antidote for toxic masculinity. And Mm -hmm. you mentioned that Nate is now kind of in that toxic place. And it's very hard for men to sustain that level of anger. Mm -hmm. When you listen to the episode that we did on dads and depression, right? Sustaining that anger, sustaining it in relationships, it takes a tremendous toll. It's just not possible to sustain that unless you are really disconnected from any of your emotional self. If you are so damaged that you are narcissistic, that you are a sociopath, because that's what that comes from, just disconnecting from your emotional self in such a way that you're not even in touch with it. But they've already showed us that Nate is not that. They've already showed us that he can be kind and tender and all those things. He can be wounded. He's not going to be able to sustain that level of anger. It's going to undo him. They're going to help him. That's what I predict. Yep. I have a lot of anxiety about Roy. Like, I want to just call up Roy and say, Roy, look, Keely's doing her own thing. You can go on a vacation. Don't panic about this. Don't do something stupid. That's what I want to tell Roy. I just think the fact that 
Roy Kent is giving Lynn Lyons anxiety is a headline for me. (laughs) Yeah, I will point this out, right? So you're married to Ted Lasso and I'm married to Roy Kent. (laughs) In some ways, yes. In some ways, yes, right? So, you know, when we look at masculinity, I think maybe that's why I'm so drawn to it is that I've got this husband who was raised by a father, and I've talked about that before. We have what's called at our house, just so you know sort of where things are, we have what's called a shtick warning. When the men in my house, particularly my husband who will model this for his boys, when they're trying to get away from something difficult, something emotional, flipping into sarcasm, using all those emotionally distancing techniques that they use, all this toughness, I give them a shtick warning, like knock it off, stop playing that role. It's a very common thing, I think, for men to use, like we were talking about. And then under the surface, this Roy Kent, I mean, really, if people saw the way my husband acts with our cat, which he pretends to not like, that's the shtick that he has, that he doesn't like our cat. If I recorded him talking to our cat, he would be absolutely humiliated. And it was the same as a dad. Well, I think that probably did an equal job of humiliation. (laughs) (laughs) You mean right now? I've already humiliated him? Yeah. I could imitate him. I could could imitate him now, but I won't. No, I won't. I love him too much for to allow you to do that. Okay. Well, also, I'll just, you know, like he doesn't listen to the podcast. He doesn't even he doesn't even know what a podcast is. But you know those progressive ads where they give the, that guy gives the classes of not turning into your parent? Like I feel like I'm I'm in that phase with my husband right now. He said something the other day about a podcast. I was like, "Oh my god, you're like the guy, you're like the parents on the progressive ad." Yeah, I won't humiliate him. But underneath that, he was raised with shtick. He was raised with don't show your emotions. He was raised with cover it all up. And he doesn't show that much to people, his true self, which I think is not unusual. We did these episodes called, Can You Vaccinate Your Kids Against Anxiety? Mm Mm-hmm. We did those at the beginning of 2021, and it was the game changer for me to click and recognize that those kinds of conversations on a regular basis with my family, how do we use those as teaching points Mm -hmm. to talk about what is being modeled and asking them what they think and asking them how they would do something. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to our listeners who want to watch Ted Lasso with their boys? What should they say? I think, like you say, they should just bring it up in conversation. Gosh, what do you think about that? Or, or who do you think you most relate to? Or what do you think about what happened between Roy and Jamie? Or what do you think's going on with Nate? Just ask those open-ended questions. The trick of it is don't make it into some big, meaningful conversation. Like after we watch Ted Lasso, then we're going to sit down and have an emotionally based conversation about what you liked about the characters. That's going to turn them off. But just sort of put it out there. If they really love the show, ask them what they love about it. Ask them why they think that it's so popular. Ask them those kind of open-ended questions and feel free to also offer your opinion. And again, don't give a big sit-down lecture, but just say, oh, 
you know what? It's pretty amazing that Roy was able to blah, blah, blah. Or I'm just struck how Ted is so chipper and cheery all the time. And then you discover what really happened to him. Put out sort of those open-ended questions, those I wonder, and just open that conversation. Because we can use those characters as, as ways to open the conversation. You're looking for opportunities. That's all. Because there's a lot of authenticity that's been brought to each of those characters. Yes. And also, we wouldn't be talking about this for a whole episode if we didn't think that it is rather unique in the way that it is portraying emotional connection and disconnection between women, too, but certainly between men in a way that you really don't see on television very often. In the Dads and Depression episode, we talk about how if every young man were capable of feeling connected to his emotions in a way that is atypical, we talk about how the world would be a different place. The world would be a different place. And boy, are we seeing the level of emotion in our society right now is really something to watch. If you were to track like emotional intensity through periods of history, in terms of the emotions that people are feeling, in terms of the intensity, in terms of sadness, the disconnection, the grief, the anger, the projection, all of that stuff, oh my gosh, we have peaked, I feel like, if we were to graph it. And so I think that this is a really good way to open those conversations as well. Well, I think that's another reason why this show has spoken to so many people on the level that it has, mm -hmm. because it just feels a little bit like a balm or an antidote. Yeah, it's connection, baby. It's all about connection. It's all about opening up. It's all about being human. It's all about recognizing that we're all going through stuff and shoving it down is just not helpful. Join the Facebook group so that you can ask Lynn your question on an upcoming episode. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.